We are at a critical juncture in college athletics, and it really isn't an exaggeration to say the future of college sports is in jeopardy. And these changes are long, long overdue. All athletes deserve to use their own name, image, and likeness in commercial endorsements and on social media. And I am very much in favor of them profiting as much as they possibly can. Cofield and Company is talking college hoops with Joe Esposito. All right, 3 o'clock hours here. Lots more VGK coming up. We'll talk to uh, Justin Watkins, ESPN, Las Vegas legal insider, and uh, resident superfan. He was up in Denver last night, so he's up in about 25 minutes. That was Mark Few on the way back. We'll get to that. NIL discussions in front of Congress. A coach actually... Wow, really? Back in the players? Weird. We'll get to that. Joe Esposito is with us. we got to talk some NBA, some basketball in general. Joe, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Doing great. All right. Hey, Joe, were you uh, were you any sort of a hockey fan? You have a, like a mild following when you were growing up? Huge hockey fan. I was a New York Ranger fan. With a name like Esposito, what, did you, what did you think? Uh, good point. Well, you know, we were just, it was funny. We were just talking uh, before you came on about the Islanders run here and the fact that they're back out at the uh, Nassau Mausoleum. And I remember really hating the Islanders, but... That was basically, as a kid, I learned to hate the winners, and they were that was a big-time squad, and, and your Rangers uh, were kind of pathetic for a long time until, you know, finally breaking the schneid. What was it? was uh, 94, right? 94 they won? 94. 94. Yeah, not, yeah right, right, right around there. And, and, you know, the New York Rangers and the New York Islanders, obviously, really from two different areas. One's from Long Island, the Islanders, which mostly people in that area from the Long Island area would love them. Yep. Anybody from New York, the Bronx, Brooklyn, they just loved the Rangers. It was a huge rivalry. But going out to Nassau Coliseum to see the Islanders was a thrill. They used to have a guy named Ron Duguay. I don't know. You remember that name? Uh, I, remember, I remember the giant hair. Beautiful man. Yeah, the giant hair. And they did. They, what made them famous was there was a new brand of jeans that came out called right. Sassoon Sa- Jeans. Yeah, Sassoon, yeah. And they had that, they had that commercial, <laughs> ooh, la, la, Sassoon. And it was the Islanders, and it was just incredible. And there was always a great rivalry. It's just kind of like the Mets and the Yankees, you know, and the Jets and the Giants. New York's got something special when it comes to sports. Ron Duguay married to uh, 80s and 90s hottie Kim Alexis. There you go. That's a good trivia for you. Hockey players pull it in. Trust me. Yeah, they, we say it. They doesn't, pull it in. doesn't matter what era it is. They do. They do okay for themselves. All right, man. So, I knew. I knew. I. Sh- I knew. I should have played hockey. What was I thinking? I, I mean, you and I both have a build that hockey build. No doubt. Everything <laughs> that's, about that's, us. That's a, comp- <laughs> that's a compliment. Everything about us says speed. Speed. It, we we are downhill guys, so we could we could be scary uh, going at the net against a guy like Grubauer. All right, so let's talk about what's going on right now with NIL. Now the feds are getting involved. And I just want your general take. I'm going to play you some Mark Few bites here in just a couple of minutes. But uh, I know Emmert spoke and Jay Billis came back at Emmert. And he's like, uh, what is this whole thing about? You guys have no money and the players should have limitations. Go ahead, Joe. React. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for the video. but <laughs> yeah, we're, going to, we're, going to play no. we're going to play Few in a minute. I just wanted you to comment on oh. the, the thoughts of Emmert where the president of the NCAA is like, yeah, we, you know, we need help here because we have no money. Yeah, first of all, I think that's absolutely ridiculous because when you look at the NCAA tournament, all the money they bring in, it's just ridiculous the amounts of money they have. 
and the money they made on these guys for so many years. You know, Ed O'Bannon brought this up years and years ago when he appeared on that cover uh, of a video game and how he needs to be, uh, a re, you know, reimbursed or whatever you want to call it, or his likeness, his name, his image. And But uh, I'll tell you, this is going to be a really interesting deal, and it's a big, big um, problem that we're going to run into here if it doesn't go the right way. Congress has 21 days to uh, act on this whole deal, and uh, July 1st is, the, is really the big day that this can go wild. All right, let's hear a little bit from Mark Few because I thought this was really impressive. Here's cut one. We don't need an artificial cap on what a player's value is for NIL. We should rely on fair market value. But we do need some parameters to preserve the collegiate model and protect the recruiting environment. Without these parameters, the unintended consequences could be disastrous. And they could be disastrous, especially for the non-revenue sports outside of football and men's basketball. So, Joe, explain what he's talking about there. Well, the first thing he's worried about is he's worried that his state is not one of the states right now that's right. going to allow this to happen. Right. So when you look at right now, there's five states that have said that they're going to allow these benefits. That's Alabama and uh, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and New Mexico. The other 45 states are the states that are saying we're not going to allow this. So now you tell me how in the world is a kid that's getting recruited um, to University of Florida or Alabama to play football or basketball, whatever it may be, and they're going against a Kentucky or any other school, I don't care who it is, and you're telling them that they're going to make thousands upon thousands of dollars for their name, image, and likeness. They can do a camp in the summer and make all this money and do all these things. Where do you think these kids are going to go? Yep. So I think Mark Few is really concerned about the recruiting and the recruiting aspect. He's not worried about the non-revenue sports. You think he really cares about the golf team or the tennis? That's a good thing no to way. say. It's a good thing to say. Um, it's there, a good thing to say. There are more states on the way, uh, including Texas. So imagine Mark Few trying to recruit against Chris Beard and Texas money if they can get the players' rewards for their services. That's amazing. Here's a little more Mark Few, and I love that he's advocating for the players. We need your help. At this point, this is not an issue the NCAA or individual states can fix. We can't run competitive fair championships if every state has a different rule. And state NAL laws go into effect in less than a month. And I'll correct that. He's advocating for the players and himself. So, so like you said. Well, well, well no, no question. You're, you're 100% right. Because, but at least, hey, Joe, Joe, at least he's doing it. Because I think, I, I mean, I suspect there are coaches who are thinking about walking away because they can't deal with the mental conundrum and the challenges of the NIL and so many. I mean, we've, we had Dabo Swinney on the football side and said, hey, if the players are getting paid, I'm going to go find something else to do. Is that right? You're going to pass up on your 10 mil a year? Well, that, that's a good point. But when you have 10, 20 million already in the bank, you're fine. You know that. Okay. And the other thing I want to say, do you have, in my mind, do you think this had anything to do with Roy Williams this year backing down? Maybe. Or now Coach K's getting out? Maybe. I mean, these guys are thinking, like, where is this game headed? Where, where is college basketball going if it gets to this point where they're paying players it's going to get so out of hand the mid-major program is going to just fold to to who knows to where and then these other division one teams will have no chance if they're going to make a super con uh, conference say you make a super conference like football has one and one double a maybe you do that in basketball where all the people that are doing everything they can with the money in one area, and then everybody else somewhere else. I, I'm telling you, this is going to be a big problem, and I'm interested to see how this all unfolds with Congress, and July 1st could be a wild time for college basketball. Joe, let's talk UNLV. So another player added to the roster on the basketball side, uh, big kid, Hampshire, 7-1, 
Can you see, and he's mostly a shot blocker, rebounder, can you see what Kruger is trying to build here from a defensive standpoint? Well, it looks like he's putting together a team with a lot of size. You know, when you think about the other the other kids that he brought in, you know, 6'6", six, six, Donovan Williams, 6'7", Victor from Oklahoma, the 6'10", kid David from Lamar, you got Royce uh, Ham at 6'9", from Texas, 6'9", Reese Brown, who's the only really returner for him, and then you got James, this kid, this new kid now at 7'1". I think he's trying to build a bigger team. It looks like to me, I think he's going to depend on, you know, just pounding it inside and being strong. I don't know if UNLV people would want to enjoy that kind of basketball. I don't know what his thinking is, but, you know, this James Hampshire guy, you know, he's not a great player by any means. He's a guy that is a, is a role guy that's going to fill a need for what he believes is a shot blocker or, you know, someone that can fill, up, fill the inside up a little bit. But, um, Man, I don't know. I mean, this is interesting because you got a lot of big guys, and they finally got some really good size, but how they're going to play that, I don't think – I don't look in my eyes, and I'm Steve, uh, the running Rebels, you don't think about big guys. You think about guys that are streaking down the floor, playing at a high pace, you know, that kind of basketball, pressing all over the court. With these guys right here, some of these bigger guys, I don't know if they're going to be that type of team. So it's going to be interesting to see what their plan is and how they're going to play. So can't we look at his roster build – with some similarities to San Diego State in terms of having big guys up front who are mostly defense and rebounding. Your perimeter players are a little bigger. You don't have tiny guards that you're building around. So, you know, your defense can be aggressive on the perimeter and you kind of you funnel everything. If you get beat, you funnel everything to good size and, you know, explosive jumpers inside. I, I do think that might be part of it because, you know, usually when you take a job, you look in, at the league and see who's been successful and what their blueprint is. But on the other hand, you got to remember the great players, the NBA type players that San Diego State added to that group. Yeah. I don't really know of anybody on this group from UNLV that's going to be uh, talked about in the NBA draft, or somebody that they've had in those last couple of years, like they have it in San Diego. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think definitely that's that's one thing that he's probably looked at because every job we've ever taken, we've always looked at the rosters of the teams that are successful. But uh, this looks like an interesting group of guys. That's a lot of size. And I'm sure they're thinking about beating people on the glass and, uh, you know, playing, maybe playing a little bit slower. Who knows? Yeah, I figure they get scoring from Hamilton and Nuga and Webster. Um, and then they've got some other guys. Obviously, they've got some depth at point guard now. Uh, let's talk about a guy who had to play point guard in a pinch, Nick Blake, who mysteriously moved away from the program. Have you heard anything on this? Because he did decide where he's going to transfer. And I'm not saying, you know, Pacific is a bad program, but – uh, what I saw to Nick Blake, I mean, the upside, he's a he's a borderline power five guy, is he not? Like, what, am, I, am I misreading his game? No, I don't think you are. You know, I really liked him. He was one of those guys I said I was really intrigued when I watched him play, you know, averaging six points, three rebounds, and three assists because he kind of did a little bit on the stat sheet all the way around. And he's a 6'6 wing, so I think he's a guy that can go inside out. Um, you know, Pacific got the better of the deal, I think. You know, I, yeah. I would trade yeah. Nick Blake for, for James Hampshire any day. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what happened internally. I haven't heard anything about how, how that went down, but for whatever reason, he's leaving UNLV to go to Pacific. There's got to be something up. I don't know what that may be. you got to give me your take on the Clippers and the Jazz. First of all, you come out of that game, the Jazz win. Who are you more enthusiastic about? I'm actually still enthusiastic about the Clippers, but a lot of people pointed out that, hey, the Jazz, you know, they didn't play well in the first half, especially having a run there where they missed 21 straight shots, no Conley. How do you come out of that game in terms of who you're uh, enthusiastic about? Well, you know, I've, I've always liked the Jazz's game. I really do. You know, Mitchell really had a heck of a game yesterday with 45 points. You know, to go 0-14 in that spurt, 
from three-point line and you know, missing 21 straight shots. You, you thought the game was over. I don't know if the Clippers thought that in their mind as well. You wouldn't think at that level. They got outscored 32-19 in the third quarter. Um, but I'll tell you, the interesting thing is what a lot of people have talked about is at the end of the game what happened there. You know, the Clippers are down three. They get the ball at 16 seconds. You know, Ty Lue doesn't call timeout. They get blocked in the corner. The funny thing is when they interviewed Ty Lue and they said, why didn't you uh, – you know, call time. I said, number one, he didn't want them to talk about fouling. And number two, they wanted to get Rudy Gobert out of the game. He did not want to get Rudy Gobert out of the game. He wanted him to be out there. Well, then I'm thinking in my mind, why would you want Rudy Gobert out there? Number one, he blocked the shot at the end. Number two, he's one of the first-team defensive players in the NBA. So it would have been better if he actually wasn't in the game. So I didn't get that part of it, though. But I think Kawhi Leonard or Paul George should have taken that last shot. You need three points to go to overtime. The wrong guy shot it. It got blocked. Game over. And it's just funny. The Jazz were favored by three points in Vegas. <laughs> Is that just a crazy thing? I don't yeah. know how that works. I was going to say, Joe, a lot of people had three and a half, so they got, they got screwed on the, uh, on the hook in that one. Last one on the NBA. Um, you know, I'm kind of rooting for the Sixers. I feel like the Sixers have been written off in spite of having a really good regular season. Now, part of that is Embiid's got a, a bum knee, but my God, he's come out last night. That's, to me, that's what a leader does when you get surprised in game one. Uh, you take it upon yourself to go out and freaking brutalize the opposition. And Clint Capella is a pretty good player, but he's given away like 40 pounds. That that was old school, physical, big v big, and Embiid at like 300 pounds threw around Capella like a rag doll. Yeah, you know he did look great yesterday, having a torn meniscus. You know, just to just to just to score 40 points. I mean. It's amazing how some of these guys have these, these opportunities to score as many points, 13 rebounds. You know, he's the first 76er to score 40 in a playoff game since back in 2003, Allen Iverson. And uh, you can remember Allen Iverson's game. You know, some people said, do you think Joel Embiid was pissed off that he wasn't the MVP? Well, I don't think so. I think the guy that got the MVP, uh, Nikola Denver, deserved it. I mean, he, he darn near almost averaged a triple-double. You know, he averaged 26 points, 11 rebounds, and 8 assists. He almost averaged a triple-double. And as you know, Steve, following sports your whole life, when somebody had a triple-double 5, 10 years ago, it was unbelievable. Now we got guys almost averaging triple-doubles. So he got a ton of points uh, from the voting. You know, he had 971 points and beat at only 586. Nikola deserved it. He's done so much for Denver. And he is the lowest draft pick ever to win an MVP uh, in the NBA, that that's pretty unbelievable. You know, the, and he's also the first MVP to ever play in every single game that season, going back to Kobe Bryant in 2008. That's another unbelievable deal where he hasn't gotten hurt, hasn't sat out a game, they haven't just rested him like that craziness we've talked about before. So, Embiid was awesome. The Sixers were awesome, and I really like to see them win because you know I don't want I want to see them win because you know I hate Atlanta Hawks after they beat my Knicks. The coach Joe Esposito. Uh, we'll close. I don't know. Did I steal all your thunder? You got a couple of Joe's nose uh, gems here. Joe, no, Joe knows. Uh, uh, you know, Mark Few, relax. Joe's nose. Joe Mark knows. Few needs to, hey, Mark, Mark Few needs to relax. Yeah. Drew Timmy's coming back. He's coming back. They got a 7-1 best freshman in the country coming in. He's going to have the best front court in all college basketball. Mark, just win this year. Win your national championship. Retire and move off to the sunset. You don't have to worry about all this in likeness and all this image garbage. Gotta win a how, about Gary, how about Gary Payton? Gary Payton is now a head college basketball coach. Now, it's worked for some. Jawan Howard, Penny Hardaway, so-so. Patrick Ewan, so-so. You know, uh, Jerry Stackhouse has been a bust. 
But Gary Payton gets his chance, always pisses off a lot of college coaches because they've never coached a day in their life, and they get these big jobs. Kind of interesting. Not saying he got a big job, but he's coaching. And then the saddest note of all this week that I saw was seeing that young man from Michigan State, Keith Applin, charged with murder. He was a guy that played in the NBA with the Orlando Magic for about five games. He was a guy that was a big-time leader for Michigan State, over a 1,500-point scorer. And to see a guy's life deteriorate that is really sad. Um, and it just makes you feel like, wow, you know, you never know what's going to happen with some of these athletes after they leave college. Joe knows. Coach, have a good weekend. Well, have a good rest of the week. I'm at the weekend already. Uh, have a good rest of the week. We'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Thanks. Have a great night. There is Joe Esposito, former coach at uh, UNLV in Minnesota and Texas Tech and Memphis and lots of other schools now living down in Arizona. All right. Up next, we talk to the Road Warrior, man. He'll wear that VGK jersey, go right into enemy territory. Justin Watkins was on the road last night. We'll uh, get his experience at the Avs game against the uh, Golden Knights. Heartbreaker for Denver and also uh, the latest on that parking situation around Raider Stadium. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. Legal insider, also super fan insider, Justin Watkins with us, hitting the road for some of these Golden Knights playoff games. And I knew Justin was going to be in Denver for the game last night. And then I then I got proof. I got proof of the great picture afterwards. What's up, buddy? How was the experience in Denver? Oh, it was a quick turnaround. Uh, you know, I back on the 5.50 a.m. flight this morning, <laughs> back in the office, first thing. So I'm uh, still trying to recover my voice a little bit and, uh, you know, shake out the cobwebs. But uh, it was an awesome experience. Uh, one of the best games I've ever seen in person under the circumstances and and the level of play. Um, it was rad, man. Um, I was there for game one when the Golden Knights got blown out. Uh, I think we talked about it on the air a little bit. And uh, I said the Denver fans were really, you know, pretty nice. Yeah, They were like that again until the game tying goal. And Uh-oh. then things got a little rowdy around me. <laughs> a little froggy. Uh, you know, you can actually see on one of the – I was three rows up from the glass. You could see on one of the views of Mark Stone's goal um, at the end there when they're shooting it from him coming at the goal, I'm in the background. And as he gets that breakaway, I start to stand up and there's a lady or a man. I can't, I'm not Be sure. Careful. I think it's this lady yeah. grabbing my shoulders, trying to push me back down really? in my seat. Yeah. And so like, I'm like still, you know, shouting, and I'm brushing her off. And I don't know what would happen if he would have scored or didn't score it because he scored I high-fived about five people and then turned around to, to find my, you know, abuser. And, you know, everybody was gone. I mean, that place went dead silent, oh, wow. gone in, in a matter of seconds. It was crazy. Oh, we might have, to, awesome. might have to get a good photo or two of that and locate the abuser. Let's go. Dan, by the yep. way, Judge Dan, practicing attorney, our buddy in the Denver right. area. Might have to be a little, uh, little work together on this one. Don't touch That's Justin. Right. Don't touch him at a game. Don't touch anybody, exactly. man. I, I mean, I <laughs> guess I, I hear from some of the other fans there that what they don't like is from anybody is if you stand 
before the puck goes in the net. That's their etiquette there. You Nobody stands until the puck's That's already stupid. in the net so everybody gets to view it. That's stupid. And I'm like, as the breakaway was happening, I'm popping up. You know, I'm like, as I did for every single goal that the Golden Knights scored. And, you know, probably a half a dozen times they, did, they didn't score. I'm getting excited. Yeah. And so I guess they took the, I guess my hockey etiquette for Denver is, is poor. From a, by the but, way, from a town that barely cares about hockey as compared to saying. the other sports, up yours. Uh, reason 1,493 why Denver fans in general suck. So don't touch our guy. Don't touch our guy. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about, I bet you their decorum. I bet you they weren't grabbing your shoulders, uh, you know, when the uh, buzzer beater went in at the end of the first period, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, everything was all, like I said, everything was hunky-dory until that game tying goal. When I was shouting, <laughs> when I was shouting <laughs> for that game tying goal, they, that's when I started started hearing the, you know, the vulgarities. And, uh, but there was, I mean, for game one, there was had to be in less than a hundred BGK fans in the whole arena. It had wow. to have been. There was almost no nobody there. Last night, this last no, no last night way more, way more, way more. Probably, uh, I don't know if we got to a uh, thousand. Would be one out of every ten. Probably about a thousand, something like that. Wow. Was the woman sitting next to a bald guy in a blue shirt? Because I'm looking, I'm I, looking at the photo that was taken by Al Snell. Oh, she's from- right behind me. Right behind me in that, so in that avalanche. That that's that photo is what I've pieced together yeah. to 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 make the accusation of a she versus a he. I don't know. That's Maybe he it, reached over the guy next to her and tried to grab me. All right. it did, well, whatever it was, it didn't stop me. That's all I'm gonna say. It didn't stop me. Didn't stop you. Shrugged you're, it off. You have wrestler legs. I mean, come on. You you were shooting your whole life. You someone's gonna hold you down. You're, you'll you'll squat two people. Do it. <laughs> I don't know about that, but if yeah. he hadn't scored. Yeah. We were going to have an interesting conversation for oh sure. Oh boy, oh boy! Uh, how intense was much of the second with the Avs seemingly on a power? They weren't on a power play, but it felt like a power play the entire time. Oh, I mean, so I was there with my brother, who's cheering for the Avs. He's he moved to Denver nine years ago. Even though he's a native, he likes Colorado. So okay, he cheers for the for the Avs. A buddy of mine and, and myself. So two Golden Knights fans and a, and a Colorado fan, and we were all unanimously in an agreement that the second period was an unrelenting butt kicking, yeah. and we were just really lucky to get out of that with only giving up a goal. So I mean, despite the soft one at the end of the first, a two zero score at the end of the second was a pretty fair score considering how, how that second period went down. It was the second period for Colorado felt exactly like the entire game of game four for the golden knights just endless waves of pressure we couldn't the, the golden knights could get out of their own zone uh couldn't seem to make that that pass in, if they did get it out of the zone to actually um buy some time in the other you know in colorado's offensive zone i don't know what the course he was but it had to have been way out of whack uh, I'm, I'm guessing like 70 30 80 20 something like that you think the abs let up a little bit to start the third Laps in concentration? No. You know what? I think that they continue to try to play the same offensive game that they've always played, which has some risks with it. I don't think that they can do what, say, Minnesota did when they had the lead and, you know, park the proverbial bus in front of the goal. That's not what they do. I know they have the second-rated defense in the whole league, but I don't think that's because their defense is so effective when it's playing in their own zone. I think it's because 
you know, for 95% of the games it plays, it's out shooting Colorado's out shooting and out possessing the opponent two to one. So of course their defensive numbers are going to be right. But I don't, I don't know that they can, you know, protect a lead in a defensive minded way. I think that they look to protect the lead by scoring more. And uh, so I think they were playing the same way. I mean, both of the turnovers were them trying to make an offensive play, not them playing safe defense. Five seven zero nine thousand is the number of Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Uh, Justin Watkins is with us live in the Battleborn Broadcast Center. We come back. We're going to get into uh, some local questions. You know, uh, Justin served in office for a couple of years. So we got some legal stuff to talk about with the Raiders' parking situation, and also the latest news that's coming out with the uh, Boring Company and their new tunnel system that has really, really big plans on the table around Vegas. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. My noodles, your way. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Company. Watkins is here. He's in the uh, Battleborn Broadcast Center. Cofield, Ari, Finley, Toyota Studios. So we started to talk last week, Justin, about the uh, parking situation, the new parking plan with the Raiders. And I, you know what? I gave it a, a B or a B plus. I don't love the prices, but I thought they did a good job eliminating the satellite lots that were really far away. They bought some different pieces of property around that Polaris and Valley View and Hacienda and Russell area, Wynn, Diablo. You're going to learn the names of these streets. Um, one thing I did notice when I drove around, I thought – some of the lots that were 40 and 50 bucks, really not too bad in terms of a walk. They're, uh, when I mapped them, and they were six-tenths of a mile. One thing I was curious about, though, there's a ton of commercial businesses and real estate down there and warehouses. Is it illegal for them to set up and go, hey, you can park here, 30 bucks? I'm, I'm not aware of any restriction um, in, in any city ordinance that would prevent them from charging for parking there. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't doubt the... Raiders lobby for trying to make that uh, an issue. Uh, but I mean, you see that in most major cities, right? That private lots then on game days turn into uh, pay for parking here. So I would expect you're going to see quite a bit of that. I just think it's it, from a logistics standpoint, you know, it's going to be half the season, I think, before everybody starts to figure out exactly, you know, where their spot is, how they're parking, what it looks like. And, um, you know, figures out all these lots, all these streets, which which private company or private businesses are are offering parking and what they pay for, and right. who's got a buddy who works where, and oh yeah, I know them, so I got a parking spot. It's gonna take a while. It's gonna be, I, I think it's gonna be a real mess. I really do. How long do you or how strong do you think the uh, strip club lobby is? Because you got two down there, and I know they're I know they're banking on bringing people in and charging them, and then giving them a big VIP package. Yeah, of course. I think that's gonna work out. I mean, especially because. I, I think you're right. There's going to be a package that they sell as part of the parking, right? And so I think I think that they're very likely to benefit from from this situation, and I think that they'll come up with the plans. I, like I said, there's no ordinance I'm aware of that says that people can't charge for parking on their own private um, commercial property uh, under any circumstances. Uh, if they try to put something forward, I think you'll you'll hear a lot of uh, people cry out about that. Uh, so I don't I don't expect any sort of laws to change. So I think everybody's going to be able to do that. Um, like I said, it's it'll be interesting to see how everybody adjusts um, for football games specifically. 
Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not going to the first game. Uh, well, I mean, and, and President, you know, the president of the Raiders, Mark Bedane, said it's going to, you know, it's going to take a little while to figure things out. I did notice they also have uh, four different areas now labeled as rideshare drop-off. I think that's going to be another work in progress. There will be a north rideshare drop-off. That might be the biggest one, the main one. That's a little bit south of Valley View and Tropicana. There's a south location, which is like right there at the stadium. It's about three-tenths of a mile. If you look south on Polaris and you got that uh, group of hotels, it's right behind one of the hotels. So there's going to be rideshare there. That's going to be a short walk. And then there's a couple of supposedly east rideshare drop-offs at Luxor and Mandalay. So uh, that that's one of the biggest things going because there are going to be people out there who are like, hey, $75 on average is just too much to park. 90 and 100 for the spots adjacent to the stadium and right across Polaris, that's too much for me. So the rideshare has to be buttoned up, uh, like you said, at least you know, partway into the season. And I think they're, they're starting to move towards a solid plan. Yeah, well, that's assuming that you know our rideshare – opportunities really drastically <laughs> improve yeah. between now and the beginning of the season because if you think on game day you're going to be able to get a ride share down there for under 75 bucks right now good mm. luck mm. i mean I, I don't i don't see that happening i do think that's going to be one of the challenges where they've sort of designated that south ride share drop off is that the group of like the 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 motels and hotels you know non-casino gaming properties right there um, they have a lot of parking right there. They're going to incur quite the expense, I think, in trying to enforce oh, yeah. restrictions on parking and having people just come in and park in their spots. It's going to be, it's going to be an increased cost to them, I think. Now, I'm sure they're happy to do it because I'm sure they're going to increase, um, you know, the lower vacancy rates because of their proximity to the stadium, but. Uh, I, I imagine that's going to be a little bit of a nightmare for them. To sure. Uh, three day it's not closed in. Three day package, uh, one ninety nine a night at Hotel Galaxy. Uh, minimum three nights stay, and uh, they're also going to slap on resort fees. So, uh, if you if you know what the Hotel Galaxy is, shout out to them. Then you understand why that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right there on Dean Martin. So, uh, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Um, we're getting more news on Elon Musk and this boring company. So they've got their loop done right around the convention center, about eight-tenths of a mile. The project's pretty interesting. Uh, they did a, a test, and they were able to move about 4,500 people an hour. Um, I didn't realize it actually is Teslas that hold just three and four people. This is interesting. Um, I don't know if they have a high-volume vehicle ready to go. It doesn't sound like it. What do you think about this system, this idea in general, as a, as a people mover that can really help us? I'm reserving judgment. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, you know, I haven't experienced it. Uh, I like the idea that we're trying to do something a little bit different and a little bit more cutting edge and that the tunnel system that we're creating um, can be adaptable to different technologies as they develop. I like that. You know, if we went with a traditional subway, I, I think that that's more rigid in what you have to do and what it's going to look like in the future is going to be very similar to what it looks like today. Um, you know, as it doesn't have to be a Tesla, right? As electric, you know, autonomous vehicles start developing that can fit within those those boundaries, uh, you know, they could use those. So the the I, I kind of like the idea that the the boring tunnels can adapt with technologies as they develop, especially in the autonomous electric vehicle um, uh, demographic. So uh, we'll see. Are you I, I, are you mostly behind us bailing on the monorail? 
<laughs> not if it, not if they'll put it to the airport. I'm not. I, if they would right. put it to the airport, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Like I still think it serves a purpose. Um, if they put it to the airport and to the stadium, like great, solves a lot of problems. Um, you know, but the monorail is such a funny little public-private partnership that's developed. You know, I mean, it's technically all privately owned, but it has been bailed out from time to time with public dollars. Um, you know, in the past. If you ask me, and I was not a part of any of these negotiations well beyond before my time as a as a public servant, but the only reason they didn't go to the airport was because of the taxi lobby. Well, that lobby has been crippled by Uber and Lyft, so they don't have the power and influence that they used to have. Um, so maybe, maybe there would be some appetite for that to get it out to the airport. I think if they did, it would be really, really, really useful, oh, yeah. and I think – a the passenger rates will go through the roof. Justin, give us five more minutes, okay? If you sit tight, we're going to come back. I want to get into the developing story in the NFL with uh, some teams with very, very low vaccination rates. And we had a player come out today who said, you know what, Uh, I want questions answered, but don't bring someone in to answer my questions. I need to know more, but I kind of really don't want to know more. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins Watkins. to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Justin's been a guy we've leaned on talking uh, COVID and vaccinations and open, you know, openings and closings and restrictions and all that. Justin, this one's real interesting. Uh, Out of Washington with the football team. Uh, they, and by the way, the football team right now has less than 50% of the players vaccinated. Uh, you know, the threshold the NFL would like to get to with organizations, players, and support staff would be 85%. So football team has a ways to go. So they're bringing in vaccine experts to speak to the players. Montez Sweat, one of the defensive ends said, quote, I'm not a fan of it at all. I won't get vaccinated until I get more facts. He said, I haven't caught COVID yet, so I don't see me treating COVID until I actually get COVID. Like, there seems to be a misunderstanding of what the vaccine is, and you're saying you need more facts. They're bringing in people to give you the facts. It sounds like the exact reason why they need to get a vaccine expert in there to talk to these guys. I mean, <clears throat> the vaccine doesn't isn't a treatment for COVID after you get it, right? right. <laughs> I mean, you got to get the vaccine first so that – if you do get COVID, which you're at, you know, obvi- everybody already knows this, the the odds are greatly reduced. And if you do get it, that the impact and severity is significantly lessened if you're vaccinated. So maybe if he talk, you know, is forced to hear what this expert has to say, maybe he'll change his mind. I don't know, man. I, if, from my perspective, if I was the NFL, I, I would, I would mandate it. I would, uh, you know, I don't know what the CBA clauses they would have to elect to use, um, but I'm sure that they could find a way to say <laughs> that they need to do it in order for the league to operate at, you know, maximum financial um, capacity. Yep. So uh, I would say well, yeah, everybody's getting it unless you have some medical or religious reasons why and you need to provide that. Everybody's getting it. I mean, if they can't do that. Then come August, if nothing changes and a lot of these teams are below 50% or just over 50%, then, I don't know, ask teachers around Clark County who taught in classrooms where half the class was in front of them and half the class was on Zoom. 
and see how you can get ready for football, work in that situation. Because that's going to be the situation for certain teams. Niners are at 52%. They're going to have these split meetings because they're not, unless they get to 85%, they're not going to let them have normal meetings. Well, and I just think the the wave of public opinion will be on the side of the league in that situation mm. because you bring up teachers and they're going to say, hey, man, yeah, we all got questions. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. I have to go get vaccinated. Our schools are requiring it. The kids have to get it if they're over the age of 12. Like the school system's requiring it. Every, everybody's doing it. So I don't want to hear about, you know, these, you know, quote unquote, crybaby millionaire athletes who don't want to get the vaccine when all the regular, you know, everyday Joes are having to get it so they can go back to work and put food on the table. And so I don't think they're going to get any oh, I think any part of the public Justin, opinion on their side. Justin, I think they're going to get some public support. I think it's been building in Buffalo. Um, they've been real vocal. Some of the players, the you know, the wife of Jordan Poyer has been real vocal. Well, we'll see how this plays out. It's June. Uh, you know, you got to get this straightened out, uh, I would think. Uh, by at least the beginning of August. Uh, One last legal story to hit. This one's interesting. Uh, A mom in El Paso impersonated a student as an experiment to test the school security. That's where her daughter attends school. Uh, As Ari puts it, school did not find it funny, facing charges of trespassing and falsifying records. Let me ask you, if this goes to a jury of the mom's peers, is this a smart move by the school trying to get her? Yes. It's it a is? very smart move really? by the school. Okay. Yeah. Like any fear that you have about, well, what's going to come out of this is how dangerous your school is and how much it lacks security. Won't even be an issue. The issue of trespass and falsifying records has no, it is not affected, nor is anything relevant to that about whether or not it's safe. Trespass is what's called a strict liability crime. Did you, in fact, trespass? Yes, game over. That's it. <laughs> There's no other analysis other than an emergency situation. This this is not going to be that, right? And falsifying records. Did you falsify the records? Yes, but I had a good reason. No, not going to work. Strict <laughs> liability crime. You falsify the records, you're going to be found guilty. So I, they, school has to. They have to press charges, and the DA has to prosecute. You can't have a bunch of vigilante parents showing up at schools trying to act like young kids because they heard of something or they have some grand idea about how the security system should work you got to go through the proper channels if you don't like something that's going on uh you know at the schools you have a, a elected representative on the school board talk to them you know you have elected leaders in, in office talk to them especially in this state they're accessible you know tell them your concerns don't be an idiot and dress up like a student and start walking into these schools really bad move uh, we got our podcast tomorrow night where we expand on this and go an hour because there's a lot of stuff we don't get to, and we also want to follow up on some things. So, Justin, let's look into the uh, parking situation more and the other businesses around there. I got a, a couple of tweets from people who were saying uh, they, like people stopped by and said you're not allowed to take parking money. Uh, so I kind of wonder what the licensing and, uh, you know, if there's if you can have people park and then you got to pay to the county. So I think that's something to look into about how that whole thing is going to be policed around the stadium. Sounds good. All right, Justin. Thank you. Thanks, guys. There he is, Justin Watkins. Rest the voice. Might be the shoulders that were grabbed. Causation, right? Some kind of connection. Maybe that lady jacked up his voice. I don't know. Could be something there. Yeah. A woman actually was grabbing Justin at the Avs-Knights game when he tried to stand up on the Mark Stone winning goal. That is crazy. Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000 is the number. 570 90 
Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today.